Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, the Jews and Gentiles, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so that you are no longer strangers and aliens, But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the the apostles and prophets and Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let us pray. Father, it's our great desire to come to your word tonight with hearts stooped in humility and heads looking up ready to be filled with your goodness. God, tonight, as the psalmist says, we open wide our mouths that you may fill them, that grace would be abundant here, that peace would be this rich, integrated, relational wholeness we have with you. And God, that all nationalities, all bloodlines represented in this world, and starting here in this room, would be cast aside and that we would become one through the one bloodline of your Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So tonight, I titled this message, this seventh in our series, An Identity, A New Humanity. Because that's what we're looking at. It's a new humanity. Now, we have in this room um, quite a few different nationalities, I'm assuming. For the most part, we look the same, but JC has some Spanish descent. I'm not sure what part of that, but there's that in JC. There's um, Puerto Rican in Brittany, not Brazilian. Um, There is Scottish and Irish in me, and there is German in the Oaks. 
and there is something that brings red hair in Ezekiel, and <laughs> probably Irish or something, and um, I think the colors are German too, and um, Brie is something Hispanic, Spanish, something like that. What is it? Spain? And I think you guys have a part Hebrew or something. Yeah, you, Nick. (laughs) Whatever, we could go down the list. There's nationalities involved here. But what our text says is that at one time, back in the day, in the New Testament times, in the church especially, there was this conflict between nationalities. And I'll explain what it was. And Paul writes this part to say that the the new identity is that there is a new humanity. In which your Germanness, your Irishness, your Spanishness, your all of that doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter anymore. That's not how you're identified. It's not your blood, but it's his blood that identifies your new humanity. And so we'll look into that tonight. Um, what I wanted to do real quick is just recap what does the series identity mean? And if you don't remember, what is an identity? An identity is basically something that defines who I am and what I do. It's that statement, that definition, that declaration, whatever your identity is, it is telling people who you are, and as a result of who you are, it's defining what you do. Now, chapters 4 through 6 of this book, Ephesians, will tell us what we do. And what it's going to tell us is that our identity causes us to form a community that fights together against the forces of death for victory. That's what chapters 4 through 6 are going to tell us. That's what we do. We're not individuals, but we're a group called the church, a community that forms life together and goes against the forces of death on this earth. We're reversing the effects of death and bringing life. But who are we? Well, that's what we're in the middle of, chapters 1 through 3. And who are we? In two words, it's in Him. That's the identity we've seen so far in Ephesians. It keeps saying, in Christ, in Jesus, in Him. This is what you are. And so, we've seen uh, the first message was essentially telling us, it was the introduction of the whole series, and we learned that we exist as a church. We exist as a community of life in a world of death. So there's just this world of death, and this community of life is plopped into it. And our mission is to be life. That's what we are. We are life. We're to be life. We're to spread life. Then we got into the text itself, and JC taught that we are chosen heirs of this life. We were chosen and selected to receive this life. Then in the third message, we learned that we are liberated from death. We were like slaves under death's grasp. And we were liberated like the Israelites were liberated from Pharaoh's slavery and his death. Liberated so that we can participate with Christ, verse 10 says, in the reunification of heaven and earth. And that's part of the death of this world is that heaven has been separated from earth. And that is now this chasm. There's this, we live on earth, not in heaven. And we, as a community, are part of, with Jesus, bringing heaven back to earth so that people can have life and not death. And we've been liberated to participate in that. Of course, Jesus is going to be the one bringing it. We are prepping people and bringing them in. And then the fourth message, we learn that we have an inheritance 
this unified heaven and earth, the future, when heaven is on earth. That's, that's our inheritance. And the Holy Spirit is helping us know where to go. He's leading us there. We're not lost, but we have a location. The Spirit of God is leading us. Then our fifth message, it was the true enlightenment. And we looked at the enlightenment of history and saw how it's totally messed up our thinking and the way people look at the church. And we let Paul bring it back into the center and realize that the true enlightenment causes us to realize that we are empowered with the resurrection power of Jesus. The same power that rose him from the dead, the Holy Spirit, is forming this community of life. So we are moving from death to life. And that was last week's message. Chapter 2, 1 through 10. You were once dead, but God, JC was clear to point out that God has a big butt. But God brought that death and called us into life and raised us up, is what it says. It raised us with Christ. And so that now we are created to walk in good works. And the good works should be understood not as a morality thing. Not like, well, I'm uh, doing good works because I'm not saying this, I'm not doing that. The idea of walking in good works is being that community of life that is bringing life to the recesses of death on this planet. So don't think of some moral scale where you're trying to tip it to the good side. It's more about living in such a way that the community of life is breaking the barriers of darkness and death. So, now tonight, in the seventh message, chapter 2, 11 through 22, we're going to find that our identity is the true universal temple of God. That's what we are. We are the true universal temple of God. By true, I mean that we are the temple in contrast to any other building, i.e. the temple that the Jews want to build in Jerusalem in place of the golden pimple on the Dome of the Rock. That's, that's cool that they want to do that and all, whatever, but that doesn't matter as Christians because we are the temple. It's, so we're the true temple. And this temple is not just in Zion or in some other mountain on the earth. This temple is universal. It's right here tonight. It's at Church of the Woods this morning. It's at Calvary Lake Arrowhead up the street this morning. It's in China right now. It's in Europe, though small it's there. It's in Africa. My sister's helping build that temple there. It's not in the South Pole, but nobody's really there. It's in Australia, and Hillsong is producing great stuff there. It's global. That is the temple that we are part of. So, that's our identities, that we're the true universal temple of God. And that's what Paul tells us. That's how he settles this conflict between nationalities. You're a temple. Really? So we're buildings, huh? <laughs> so, okay, so here's the scene now. You guys know that when it comes to identity, we want an identity because an identity brings us into something. Without an identity, we kind of feel like misplaced. Like, who are we? Where are we? What are we doing? An identity brings us into something. And we all love to be on the inside. We hate to be outside of the inside. And on a small scale, it's like inside jokes. You know, you're having a great time with people, and all of a sudden two people start telling inside jokes to each other and laughing, and you and your other guy, we just totally got left out. Like, what is that with this? Like, apparently we don't have this super cool relationship like they do. Gee, they're just so awesome. We're losers, I know. Keep rubbing in. We don't like being outside of the inside. 
And I think we've all heard one of our rude friends tell us at some point in our life, um, this is an A-B conversation, so see your way out. Anybody heard that before? Anybody said that before? Don't raise your hand. Now, what we have going on in the New Testament times is that there are two people groups in the whole world. To a Jew, there's only two types of people. So the Germans and the Irish and the Spanish and the Americans and all those people are called Gentiles. And then there are Jews. Pretty egocentric worldview, right? Uh, That's the way they saw it. There's Jews and then there's everybody else called Gentiles. So Israel, because of their covenant with God, remember how God called Abraham. And then Abraham became a nation, and that nation was led out of slavery, and that nation was given a promised land, and that nation was given a law, and that nation was given a temple, and that nation was said, through these things, the temple and the law, go and spread life to the nations. Remember that? Well, the Jews, therefore, because of the special calling, saw themselves as B. God was A, they're B. And they were having this A-B conversation ever since Abraham. Way back. 3,000, no, 2,000 B.C. It's A-B conversation. And then there's the C, the Gentiles. And constantly their attitude was, okay, excuse me, pagan Gentile. We and God are having this conversation, so be gone. See your way off. Goodbye. And that's the way it's been. And so imagine now that the church, with the coming of Jesus, something was happening. He came as a Jew. He came to Israel. Some of Israel, he was calling people out of Israel to become his followers. So there's Israel, and he's calling this truer, newer Israel that's really going to follow the true God. And with these true Israel followers, Gentiles started to follow as well. And there's such cultural differences between Jew and Gentile that squabbling began to happen. <laughs> there was kind of this standoffishness, this, this inbred thinking that all Jews had. We are the light of the world. Gentiles are pagans. We don't do anything with them. And this mentality, because it's so hard to change your worldview overnight, was being brought into the church. And the Jews and Gentiles had this dividing wall. Not to mention outside the church, even worse. And Paul's having to write to them saying, I don't care if you're Jew or Gentile. What Jesus has done is he's given a new humanity. So your Jewishness, your Gentileness, your piety, your paganism, it's all melting away and finding unity in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. You don't have Gentile blood. You don't have Jewish blood. You have Jesus blood. That makes family, that makes new humanity. So, what I want to do is tell you briefly um, Israel and Gentiles' identity. See, this is what's happening. Israel has their identity, A, B, conversation. Gentiles have their pagan identity. And these identities are clashing. And Paul has to now stir the pot and say, wait a minute, new humanity means new identity. And it's all equal here. So this is what it is. So, Israel's identity, then Gentile identity, okay? Israel. To be the light of the world. So here's what began to happen. They realized that Gentiles are pagans. They worship gods, they're not to worship. They have practices, they're not to practice. 
So what happened way back, and you guys know the Old Testament times, they began to communicate with Gentiles. And sadly, they began to intermarry. They began to worship the same gods and do the same practices. And soon, Israel became just like the pagan Gentiles. And God had to kick them out of their land. They were exiled. They were far off. And God had to bring them near. And when he did bring them near again, because by the time of Jesus, remember, they're in Israel again. They're back in their land. What happened was this mentality of, we will never, ever, that's the dramaticness of it. Go back into exile. We will never go back into paganism. We are not mixing with Gentiles ever again. They're too dangerous. So this is what they did. They took three things that made them completely separate from everybody else. First, circumcision. If you're not circumcised like the Jews were, you had absolutely nothing in common with them. They want nothing to do with you. You're not circumcised. So all the Jewish babies, sons of Abraham, were circumcised on the eighth day. And the circumcision was to be a mark. I know you can't see circumcision in public. You shouldn't, at least. So you're like, how did they actually separate them? Well, probably what was behind the circumcision idea was that it prevented intermarrying. It prevented a Jew from marrying a pagan, Gentile, because what would happen when, you know, in marriage, when things are seen that are seen in marriage, they would know you're circumcised. Or it was the constant reminder of the guys that we are set apart. We're not to be interbreeding with other nations. So circumcision became very, very, very important. We're not going to become paganized ever again. We are the circumcision. And you see that here in the first verses, is that they call the Gentiles the uncircumcision. We are the circumcision. You see the division that's going on a little bit? You guys don't quite have our identity. The second thing was the temple. The temple was the place where God lived. It was there in Israel. And the Jews were proud to have it. And they didn't want Gentiles to come and defile it. So they built walls and said that you can't come to the temple. The the Gentiles can come up to a certain point. And today we have found in archaeology a plaque from the wall at the temple that says any Gentile that steps beyond this point will be executed. That's how they felt about Gentiles. You couldn't come past a certain point. They were in the far outer reaches of the temple. That's the closest they can get. And then third is the Torah. So the circumcision, the temple, and Torah. Those were their marks of identity. By Torah, if you don't know, that's the Jewish word for what we usually just call the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and the Ten Commandments. Torah. It means instruction. They didn't see it as law. They saw it as instruction. So I like the word Torah. Now, what was the Torah to them? Contrary to what you guys may have heard, and I think the popular thing that people usually throw out, the Torah was not a ladder to get to heaven. It was not God saying, okay, do these things, you go to heaven, you're saved. That's not how they saw Torah. They saw Torah as the opposite. It wasn't a ladder up to heaven. It was a wall separating them from other people. See, the Torah commanded them to do things that other nations didn't do. Like the Sabbath, like worshiping one God, Yahweh, like dietary practices, and of course circumcision. All these are in Torah. So by keeping Torah, we are building up a wall that is protecting us from other people who don't keep Torah. It makes us different. It makes us set apart. It makes us exclusive. 
so as they hid behind Torah. That's the Jewish identity. Temple, circumcision, Torah. We are God's people. Well, the Gentile identity was made very clear. Look at verse 11. You are the uncircumcision, is what Gentiles are called. You know what that is? That's Jewish code for they're outside of the covenant. They're outsiders. Uncircumcision. It was meant to be a derogatory term. (laughs) Now, it continues in verse 12 with three words that make it very clear where us Gentiles ranked. Okay, this is what our identity was. Verse 12. It says, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. That's one. Number two alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and number three, strangers to the covenant of promise. You hear those three words? Separated, alienated, strangers. All have the same idea of exile. It means being apart from where you belong. Outside. Not anywhere close to where you should be. Far away. So, Paul's writing then to say, no more, bring them near in Christ. There's a new humanity. So, we were once defined by this Gentile identity. You're the uncircumcision, separated, alienated. You were the C. Israel and God, this A-B conversation. So Gentiles, see your way out. But Paul wants to say, no, no, no. There's a new humanity. And it's not, it's not God and B. And Gentiles are going to be merged into B and become this Jewishnessness. The Gentiles are now going to keep the law. They're now going to be circumcised and they must go visit the temple. None of that. Paul didn't say, all right, let's just reconcile them to the Jews because obviously the Jews are right. He said they're both wrong. New humanity, not bring the Gentiles into Judaism. The idea is that not only the Gentiles are exiled, but the Jews are exiled. They think they have this A-B conversation with God, and they don't. They're C just like the Gentiles. So what Paul does, he says, no more. There's a new humanity. It's not A, B, and C. It's A and D, the new humanity. So, it's now an A-D conversation. And Paul would say, so B, Jews, C, Gentiles, be gone, and see you later. (laughs) Um, That was the idea, is that you're no longer, if you're going to hold on to your Jewish identity... That's not your identity anymore. It's been relocated. It's a new identity. And so notice what he says here to the Jews in this new identity. Notice that the circumcision in verse 11, it's at the end. He says, um, the Gentiles are called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. Notice this phrase, which is made in the flesh by hands. You see that phrase? Why Why did Paul go to length to let you all know that circumcision isn't done with lasers coming out of your eyes? (laughs) it's done by hand 
probably shouldn't be too graphic. It's done with the hands. Why do you do that? I think that there's a smirk of sarcasm in what he says right there. Listen to how the Psalms speak of paganism and idolatry. It says in Psalm 115, verse 4, Their idols, Gentiles, their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. Catch that? And this is not an abnormal phrase. The Psalms and the prophets always referred to idols being made with human hands. It's something that man accomplishes. And I think that what Paul is saying is, listen, B, class, Israel, your AB conversation's invalid. You're actually idolaters because you think that the circumcision identity is bringing you as one with God when it's not. This whole circumcision thing is done with your hands. The same hands that Gentiles make idols out of and bow down to. In a sense, he's saying, you guys are bowing down to your circumcision. And think that that makes you the true people of God. (laughs) I sense that sarcasm, so I'm just trying to... So... And things like the Torah... The Torah is no more, as it says in verse 14 and 15, that he broke down that wall of hostility. That was the Torah. It it says the wall of hostility, verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. That's Torah. Torah was that wall separating the nations from themselves. And Jesus broke that down. You see, what Israel is learning, what Paul's telling them is your circumcision is not your identity. That's been relocated in Jesus. Colossians 2 tells us that we are circumcised spiritually in the heart in Jesus. Torah is no longer your identity. Jesus broke that down. The rules and the instructions and whatever we now live by, that's in Jesus. Not in Torah, Him. The temple, which He alludes to at the end of our passage by calling us the temple, the temple is no longer your identity. You don't go to this building and have your little festivities and your worship and say, we're Jews, we're the people of God. That's not your identity anymore. That has been relocated in Jesus. He's the true temple. He's where all the festivities are happening. So it's not the Jews going to their otherness and saying this is our identity. Paul's saying for the Christian Jew, it's all in Jesus and you're coming here. And then flip side for the Gentile. Their identity was we're uncircumcised, we're separated, we're pagans, we're not pious, we're doing our thing. And that's how they were looked upon. And it's puzzling. You don't have to be the underclass scum of the church anymore. Your identity is not in your exile. It's not in your separation. Your identity is in Christ. You who were far off are now brought near. As verse 17 says, Jesus came preaching peace to those who are far off and peace to those who are near. The Jew and the Gentile. And bringing them together. So their identity is now in Christ. Like the Jewish identity is now in Christ. So what we've seen is where the Jews saw themselves as the middleman between God and the Gentiles and turned from the Gentiles to have their A-B conversation with God. God sent His Son over here between the Jew and the Gentile to bring them both together and make them realize you guys are not even having conversation with Him at all. The Gentiles knew they weren't. But the Jews are definitely not. It's not A, B, C. It's A and D. And you all got to come up here 
and abandon your old identities and take on the new one. Or you're having no conversation with God whatsoever. So, our identity then is expressed in verses 20, um, well it's actually 19 to 22. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, we're not exiled anymore, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You've been brought near. Uh, you're built on the foundation, the apostles, the prophets, Jesus, the cornerstone, in whom, and this is key here, 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together, see this unity, this coming together, joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. That is your identity. You were once exiled, and the Jews have their own identity in these other things that Paul called idolatry. But all of it's coming together, and Jesus the mount, and it's all ascending and pinnacling and climaxing in him, and the people together become a temple, the temple for the world to come to. That is what we stand as, a temple. Now, how did all this happen, though? How does, how does God just like remove identities and put it all in? You're now all this temple. Paul makes it very clear, I think. Look at three verses with me. 2.13 But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Look at the second passage, verse 14. For Jesus himself is our peace, that's, that's the bringing the two together, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, which I think means the Torah. And then verse 16 is the third one. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. You see what he said here? Verse 13, by the blood. Verse 14, in his flesh. Verse 16, through the cross. What Paul is saying is that it's the cross of Jesus Christ that has made the new humanity possible. As nationalities are distinguished by their blood types, the cross has made one blood for one humanity, a new humanity. The AD conversation, not the BC conversation. Little underlying men in there. And what is really awesome, I shared this on Wednesday with the guys group, but at the cross of Jesus, this literally began with even his enemies. The unification of a new humanity. Who did you see at the cross shouting, Crucify him! Get him to the cross! You saw the religious leaders of Israel, the Jews, teaming up with Pontius Pilate. And the forces and soldiers of Rome that put him to death. Rome were not Jews, they're Gentiles. You saw Jew and Gentile coming together in the death of Jesus. Even the enemies of Jesus were coming together. So how much more, church, should the friends of Jesus start coming together in his death? So the new humanity is a new creation. Jesus began a new thing through his death. I wish they wouldn't be so noisy. I want you guys to think about the Gospel of John. 
How does it begin? It begins by echoing Genesis 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. He likes it. John echoes Genesis 1 with how it opens. And at the end, near the end, when Jesus dies, it echoes Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis 2, we read this. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all of the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that He had done and rested. Beginning of Genesis. In the beginning, the end of Genesis creation account. It was finished. What did Jesus say on the cross? As He hung there, He screamed, and only John records this, It is finished. What John is portraying is that Jesus came on the cross to make a new creation. A new humanity was formed. And of course, when you guys heard the resurrection message, you know that John specifies it happened in a garden, imitating the Garden of Eden, and that this whole new creation is dawning. But that's the point. Is that on the cross, something new is happening. A new humanity was being formed. And it's finished. And Paul's now pleading with us, look, by the blood of Christ, there is no more B class and C class. It's just all this AD conversation. We have a new identity. And we're to now walk in it together. So let's close like this. Let's close with the typical question of what does this even mean for us now? Cool. We're the temple. Great identity. Don't think about buildings, of course. A temple is essentially the dwelling place of a god. And back in the time, they didn't think of it kind of like, I don't know how you guys think of temples. Like, I usually think of Buddhist monks or whatever, and they're little buildings, and it's cold and stale, and they're all religious. And the, the true idea of a temple was that heaven and earth joined together right there, because that's where the god was. In this world of death and earth, earth curse, there was this little place where heaven and earth still had some semblance. And they would go worship God. And we did the study on this in the history series. You can go check it out on the podcast where the temple of Israel literally imitated the Garden of Eden. That's the idea. They're trying to recreate heaven meeting earth. And that's what we are, though. That's the point. Is as God's people, as this new identity, this new humanity, as this temple, we are that life. That Edenic life-giving God is with us. And we're to be living that out and bringing that into the world of darkness as a community. So, what are we to do with it? I think the big idea is this. It's mentioned three times in our passage, so let's look at 2.14. It says in 2.14, Jesus himself is our peace. He's our peace. And now, let's keep reading. He has made us both one, broken down in his flesh, dividing all of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments, expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man, in place of the two, here it is, all that reading for this, so making peace, and then in 2.17, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. Peace. Peace, peace, peace is the message. Jesus came and preached peace. And I think that what it means to be the new, the true universal temple of God is that we are peace preachers. We are peacemakers. We are peace participators. 
And I know JC talked about one kind of peace. And this, that peace applies here, but I think Paul also has that more warlike peace in mind here too, because he's talking about hostility. There, there's supposed to be this peace, this reconciliation is probably the good word. It's this idea of being far away and being brought near again. And when you have fights with people, you're usually far away, but it's being brought near. This nearness is happening, and it's to happen through the church. Nationalities, prejudices are being brought near. Those are being put away, and people are being once again unified there's no more discrimination through god's people through the temple it's peacemakers so that's what it means to be the true universal temple gods that we're peacemakers and we're bringing the far near we're bringing the dead to life we're making peace we're making things right between people and on earth where there's illnesses The church is trying to step in and make those things right. Oh, we don't have God's power to zap your healed. But the compassion, it's the peace we're showing. We're making reconciliation. We're reaching out. We're being this temple calling all people to the heaven on earth. To the God who lives here amongst us. So, I want to close... Close, close, close with three quick points about what it means to be peacemakers, to be a temple. Copying from Israel's temple. Taking from what a temple meant and applying it to us. Number one, what does it mean to be a temple? It means living like a temple means living with the presence of God. Temples were where people went to go meet their God. We're to live like the presence of God is with us all the time. It's not that when you leave here, you're leaving the presence of God. It's that what I do, I'm doing before God wherever I am. What I say, I'm saying before God wherever I am. I am always in the presence of God. There's no more of this, oops, I forgot I'm not supposed to say that in church. That is a total mis... That concept shows you have no idea what it means to be a temple. Everywhere we go, we are on holy ground. Because we have been brought in to this new identity of being the true universal temple of God. And where we go, we're supposed to be bringing the presence of God. We are that middle point between heaven and earth. Remember the circles? Some of you might remember the purple part, the red and blue circle. and the purple. Yeah, we're, we're the purple. And we're to bring that presence where we are. God has chosen to manifest himself, not through poking his head through the cloud and saying, boo, now you'll believe. (laughs) I know people wish he would do that, but what God has chosen to do was manifest his presence on the earth through his people. This is how he chose to do it, is through us. So we are the proclaimers that God exists. We are the proclaimers that he has a presence here on this earth, and it's with his people, the new humanity. Second, what it means to live as a temple means that we are a priesthood of worship. This is pretty synonymous with God's presence, but we're a priesthood of worship. Temples had priests. The priests made the whole thing work. The priests kept it clean. The priests um, were the ones bringing people to God. The priests were, when those were coming, they were helping them get to God with their sacrifices and whatever happened. The priests were there for the people, bringing the worship of God to the people and the people's praises to the God. The middleman. And that's us. That's in First Peter chapter 2. He calls us the nation of priests. And J.C. mentioned it in his passage last week. We're the priesthood. 
And we're to be bringing worship to people. Worship's not this thing we do privately to ourselves. That includes it. We do that downstairs. But worship also is something that's public. It's bringing us and our God, our AD conversation, to the B's and C's. And bringing the worship to them. N.T. Wright puts it like this. I think he, he says this really well. So I hope this illustrates it for you. He says, The way Christianity spread over the first three centuries, when the Romans were doing their best to stamp it out, I mean, Christianity was spreading even when people were trying to kill the whole thing. The way it kept spreading was not simply by people going into the marketplace and saying, Jesus is Lord, you must believe in him. That terrifies some people anyways. They did that too. I mean, that's part of it, preaching. But it really spread by people seeing that here was a community of people who lived in a totally different way. And not a totally different way like Israel, like we have our Torah, stay away. A totally different way that was inviting people to live that way with them. So he continues. The Christians were known for going and helping people who were not their kith and kin. Going and helping people who were not like them. Who were not part of their ethnic group or part of their business interests. If somebody was sick, if somebody was poor, the Christians would go and look after them. They'd say, um, those watching the Christians would say, why do you do that? You've got nothing to gain by it. And the Christians would reply, well, it's because we follow Jesus. And this is the way that Jesus does stuff. And in some of his other books, he would say, this is the way it looks when God is king amongst people. That's why we do it. That's why we do the good deeds J.C.'s passage mentioned last week. We're priests bringing the worship of God to those who have them, to those who are far off, who are strangers, exiles, and aliens, and bringing them near. And then finally, I think that this is the hugest concept, so get this one at least. Living as a temple of God means that we extend the peace of forgiveness. We extend the peace of forgiveness. Now, the main concept, and this you guys would know, of a temple, especially for Israel, was that it was at the temple forgiveness of sins was received. Peace with God was achieved. And yeah, true, it was by an animal, and it was a little bit, you know, it was that way. But that's their ideas. We need to get to the temple because we have sins And we've transgressed against the holy God. We've broken the covenant. We must go and reconcile. We must go and receive forgiveness and peace with him. So, new universal temple of God. We must be the same thing for people. There are sins, there's rebellion, there's transgressions. And we must be the one that they... When they run into us, they're not feeling condemnation. They're not feeling judgment. They're not feeling like they can't live up. Instead, they're receiving peace. And they're feeling forgiveness. We're demonstrating what God has done to us. To other people. When people wrong us directly, we don't hold grudges. We don't hang it over their head. We don't find ways to get back at them. We don't stop talking to them and exiling and separating ourselves. That's death. Life is peace being brought to those who are exiled. 
It's forgiveness being bestowed upon them. And there is nothing that will show God amongst us more than when we extend forgiveness to each other. When we act as that temple, and we can look at people who wrong us directly, or who wrong our God indirectly, or just live whatever life they're living, and we look at them and treat them as if they're human beings, and not some ostracized part of society. The new humanity is a unity. There's no B's and C's being thrown out of the wayside. God as the temple is calling us to be those extensions of peace and forgiveness. And Christians, we have to find a way to make it that we are not categorized as making people feel judged. The total opposite. Stop being Torah identity people. We got to spot out everywhere people are breaking our laws. That's not our identity. Our identity is in Jesus. And unless we rip off that mentality, you guys are guilty of the Jewish complex. So, as a new, true, universal temple God, we must be a place of forgiveness for all people. And when we don't forgive them, you know what we're telling them? There is no God that can forgive you. God is present amongst us and through us. And God forgives the world through us. We are the messengers of that peace. Otherwise, no one will know that they can be forgiven. Because our hearts and the Satan, the accuser, tells us differently. So, Father, it's our prayer that we would become a fellowship of forgiveness and peace would reign. Humble us so that we would never judge, Father, and forgive us where we have. We choose tonight to embrace the new humanity and to identify ourselves as your temple. So help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.